today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantar. So one of the benefits of being in Christ isn't simply, hey, we are raised to new life. We are also given the armor of Christ. But friends, this is blood-bought armor. Jesus died to equip us with this armor. It's as if Christ gathers us as Christians and takes us to the empty tomb and says, in my battle against the enemy, I won some things for you, church. I, I laid my life down to equip you with these weapons, church. They cost me my life, so use them well. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Using the weapons that have been left for you? Today, Pastor Ricky teaches us that Jesus won these spiritual weapons for us. He actually bought them with his blood. He says that Jesus died to equip us for the battle that we would endure. He knew what we would face. He knew what we would need. He was willing to give it all for us. Not only does he invite us to wear his weapons, he also gives us the power to have the victory. Are you tired of losing the battle? Turn to Jesus today. Now, here's Pastor Ricky in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 10, with his continuing study entitled, Spiritual Warfare in Christ. The very command to be strong is at the same time a promise that strength is available. Because of what Christ accomplished, this inexplicable grace, we are joined to him, and those benefits become ours. Therefore, There is no trial greater than your ability to withstand. There is no temptation greater than your ability to resist. There is no intractable circumstance greater than your ability to navigate or persevere. He says, be strong because there is strength. So our part is to be made strong. This this command actually to be strong in the Lord, it's actually better translated to, to be made strong. Actually, we're passive in this, and we allow ourselves to be made strong by the strength of the Lord. So our part and where we find our power is to utterly depend on Christ. We're going to look at what it means to put on the armor of Christ, but the key factor is that in putting on the armor of Christ, we are acknowledging that we need help and we need strength and we need to be made strong. So how do we do that? How do we how, how do we allow ourselves to be made strong in a sense? There's two really simple things. We must utterly believe, first of all, in Christ's power. And second, we must utterly throw ourselves onto Christ's power. See, in the middle of this struggle with all of these earthly uh, and, and heavenly hosts of evil arrayed against us, sometimes our worst enemy is actually self-reliance is that we see these things coming against us. We see this opposition, and we go, I've got to do something. I've got to come up with something. I've got to handle this myself. And we don't go to the Lord. We don't run to him for strength. And we think, I've got this. I will figure this out. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Be made strong in his might. 
Do you remember his strength? Do you remember his limitless strength? Well, the first thing you need to do is to utterly believe in Christ's power. You need to cultivate a a strong faith in the power of Christ so that when your circumstances seem like they're going to come crashing down on you, you know that Christ's strength is greater still. You have to believe that. And second, you have to throw yourself onto Christ. And there's no magic formula for this. There's no certain type of prayer you have to pray. It's just a conscious awareness that, Lord, I need you. A constant prayer, as we'll talk about in a minute, of, Lord, I need you. I can't do this. Lord, I don't know who's behind this. I don't know if it's the devil or my own flesh or the world or just part of living in this fallen world, but I need you. I have no power here, but I know you have infinite power, and so I'm asking for your help. That's, that's the kind of lifestyle that Paul is calling us toward. And notice also that he says, he uses this language of standing firm or withstand, withstanding something. What's interesting about this language that's being repeated is there's a sense in which our spiritual warfare, our task of spiritual warfare, isn't to like take the ground. It's like, all right, it's up to you. Let you get out there. You, you take the hill. There's a sense in which Christ has already won the ground. Christ has He is already advancing his army, and we are to hold the line. There's a a, a Roman kind of overtone to this, because in Ephesus, there would would have been numbers of uh, uh, Roman soldiers, maybe maybe even some retired uh, soldiers and centurions. And I was reading a historian from the time period, and he comments about the Roman centurion, that they sort of have a real particular job in, in the army of Rome. And Paul is probably drawing on the Roman centurion's armor and sort of that persona. And, and here's what this historian says about the Romans and the centurions. They wish the centurions, the Romans wish the centurions not so much to be venturesome and daredevil as to be natural leaders of a steady spirit. They do not desire them so much to be men who will initiate attacks and open the battle, but men who will hold their ground when worsted and hard-pressed and be ready to die at their posts. See, there's, there's a sense in which in this battlefield, Christ himself is advancing his army. Christ himself has taken the ground for us. And our call is to, as we stand behind Christ, to hold our ground. So that he is the active warrior, actively taking ground, and we are the ones that hold the line. Now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't, this is not to say that we should not be going out and evangelizing and, and taking ground in that sense. But, but Paul is really trying to get across that our part is passive in the main and Christ's part is active in the main. And so what we do, the way we win the battle, is not by coming up to Jesus and going, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I have an idea. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take these 10 guys. I'm going to run over there. I'm going to run to the tree and I'm going to run to this next tree. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go over there. And, I'm gonna go, and Jesus is like, look, I've, I've got this. I'm going to go ahead and I, I go ahead and plan this battle out and your part is to stay there, right? Hold the line. But I got, I got so many ideas, Jesus. I feel like we could really get Satan if I just, you let me take 10 guys over here. And, and sometimes we, we sort of try to do this stuff in our own strength. And Christ says, no, like, I have this battle won. I'm calling you to join arms with me, to hold the line as we advance. That's your part, to be made strong in the strength of God. And the point here is this, that there is a call in this passage to ditch our self-reliance in the battle 
and trust in the strength and power of the Lord. Let me just say this. You will, we will all be tempted in the heat of the battle to break. We will all be tempted when Satan's opposition comes and it comes as we saw in many forms. Sometimes it comes in, in the form of persecution, which I do not think is unlikely that those of us in America will face an increasing persecution. So when the battle is hot and things are difficult, where will we turn for strength? Paul says, be strong in the Lord. Friends, there will be times when Satan, through his devices, seeks to divide the church. When he uses division and factions and disagreements to seek to split apart what Christ has brought together. And in those moments, it's not always going to be clear. What is going on? Why is this happening? And our part is to be made strong in his might. There will be challenges as we build and as we go forward, as we pursue the mission of God, there will be opposition. I heard a pastor say once that if you as a church are getting shot at, it means you're flying over the right target. If the Allied pilots in World War II had decided to take a leisurely drive across the Atlantic, nobody's shooting at them. But as soon as they get close to enemy lines, there's opposition. Friends, there is a sense in which as we take the gospel to people around us, the enemy hates it. The enemy would love to see anything but that. The enemy hates seeing a united church. It hates seeing strong families. And so when things are difficult in your family and you're wondering, how did we get here? What is going on? The call is to gird yourself up and to stand firm in the strength of his might. But he gives us help. Third, in Christ we are equipped in war. We're made strong in war, but we're also equipped with specific pieces of armor and weapons from the Lord. But here's what I want you to notice before we even get into the, to the armor. And I know some of you have just been waiting the whole message for me to just explain this stuff. And I'm sorry, I'm just going to refer you to commentaries and stuff. I'm going to work through that, but I'm not going to get everything. And I know you've got some picture of, of a Roman shield and you want me to explain. Well, faith has this etching here. And it sort of has, you know, the, the wood of faith and then the, the leather of faith is this. People get into that. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't get into that. So I'm sorry. I'm just trying to preach the plain text of scripture because I'm a simple guy. So uh, that's what we're going to do. But here's what I want you to notice first about these weapons and these armor. These are, as we saw from that passage in Isaiah 59, these are often or all pieces of armor used to refer to the Lord himself. So God isn't giving us a set of armor that is just, oh, this is the first time we're hearing about this armor in all of the Bible. This is new armor. Wow. No, These are pieces of armor that we see in Isaiah 59 and other passages in the Old Testament. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. And in a sense, we are invited to wear the armor of Christ because we are in Christ. So one of the benefits of being in Christ isn't simply, hey, we are raised to new life. We are also given the armor of Christ. But friends, this is blood-bought armor. Jesus died to equip us with this armor. It's as if Christ gathers us as Christians and takes us to the empty tomb and says, in my battle against the enemy, I won some things for you, church. I I laid my life down to equip you with these weapons, church. They cost me my life, so use them well. 
And all of them are tied to the gospel in some way. The belt of truth, well, it reminds us that Christ opened our eyes to the truth. The breastplate of righteousness reminds us that Christ has given us his righteousness. The shoes of gospel readiness reminds us that Christ came to us with this gospel of peace and empowers us to be witnesses. The shield of faith, well, it says in Ephesians 2 that it's through faith we're saved, but even that faith is in some ways a gift from God. The helmet of salvation reminds us of the whole salvation given to us by Christ. And the sword of the Spirit refers to the power of Christ that came to us and opened our eyes. From head to toe, what Jesus did on the cross in his death and resurrection give us armor. So we can go into battle with his power and his weapons. And so let's read this together. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. But take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So let's briefly work through these together. First, the belt of truth. I thought for a while this week, what is up with the belt? I mean, why do we need the belt? Okay, everything else is pretty cool, right? Like we get a shield, we get a sword, we get a, like a breastplate, we get a helmet, and then a, well, also a belt, right? Well, think about this. The belt doesn't seem important until you try to run into battle wearing loose-fitting pants, Right? And in the ancient world, right, nobody's wearing skinny jeans in the ancient world, right? So, I mean, these, these are tunics. These are stuff that need to be held together. And so it would be really distracting to you and everybody else for you to run into battle without a belt. Okay? I'm saying this humorously, but any soldier would know this. This is why the Romans issued belts to their men. And it seems, this is the point about belt, the belt of truth. It seems unimportant, but it is critical. And this belt of truth for us is truth that lines up with the Bible. The truth on which our faith rests, the truth of Scripture, especially the truth of the gospel, seems unimportant. Maybe many times you think, okay, I don't need to know a lot about this doctrine stuff, this Bible stuff. Man, some people are just Bible people. I'm just, a, I'm just, I just show up at church. No, Scripture says that the truth of God's word and of the gospel seems maybe to you unimportant, but it's critical for the battle. And so our part is to strengthen ourselves in the truth of Scripture, especially in the gospel. We are to know the Bible, to know the truth of God, to know the truth of the gospel so that we can discern, so that when somebody that sounds like a snake begins to whisper a new doctrine into our ear that sounds so good, we are protected. The belt of truth. But second, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate protects your vital organs and One of the most fierce attacks of the enemy is when Satan accuses us. Satan's name literally means the accuser. He will come to you and he will say, you can't pray right now after what you just said to your wife. You're never going to be a better spouse. Do you remember what you did last week? You're such a failure. You're never going to amount to anything. You're never going to advance in godliness. There's no hope for you. You know how many times you sinned this last week? You know how many harsh words you spoke to your wife? Why don't you give up now? You shouldn't even go to church. Don't even think about calling your friend. He's not going to understand. Nobody's as bad as you. This is what Satan does. He accuses us. And they, his accusations, his fiery darts cripple us because of this. We know that there is truth in them. 
Because when Satan whispers to me, you're not the husband you should be. There's a part of me that says, you're right. And I begin to shake and I begin, my heart begins to be pierced. So what's our remedy? Our remedy can't be, well, no, I did some other good things this week and that's the battle we get into with Satan often, isn't it? Well, I'm not that bad because I did a good deed here and a good deed there. And what scripture says is that we've been given a breastplate of righteousness and namely not our righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. Scripture says that in light of that, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. So when the the lies and the accusations of the enemy begin to pierce us and hurt us, we bring not our righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. And we say, I am not the man I should be, but in Christ, I still stand righteous before my heavenly father, and he has promised to help. I have no claim. I have no other plea before the throne of God other than Jesus Christ. And so by pleading that, by clinging to that, that is your breastplate, Christian. Cling to the righteousness of Christ. And in light of that, the implication is that we are to pursue righteousness. So there is a sense in which Christ's righteousness guards us from these attacks, but there's also a sense by by pursuing righteousness that's in line with the righteousness we already wear, we are protected from the enemy. See, when we give ourselves to sin, Scripture says sometimes that certain things can give Satan a foothold. There could be chinks in our armor that Satan can, can get in and begin to wound us. And so when we give ourselves to sin, we give Satan a foothold. And it, by pursuing godliness, by saying no to sin, we're strengthened and guarded. Third, the shoes, I don't know how to say this, but the shoes of gospel readiness is the best way I can talk about that. Now, in battle, you want your footwear to do two things. You want to, first, you want the footwear to hold you in place so you're not sliding around, Right? And second, you want the shoes to help you move quickly if you've got to move. And the gospel of peace does both of these things. It first holds us steadily in place and keeps us from slipping. By remembering the gospel, we are strengthened to stand where Christ has told us to stand. But then when Christ calls us to go, it it gives us power and propels us forward. So our part with with our feet, is to know the gospel of peace, to stand firm in it, and to allow it to propel us forward. Fourth, the shield of faith. Now, just so you know, in the Roman world, Paul isn't talking about a little shield. Everybody seen one of those, like, those little tiny shields? It's like this big, right? Like, I don't know what era that was, but it's a little tiny shield, and we're thinking, man, that's not gonna work. I mean, we're getting attacked by the enemy, and we've got this thing, and like, you know, Trying to hide behind it. I don't know. And in the Roman world, the Roman shield that the Roman soldiers would use was like a man-sized shield, right? It was designed that if you're getting bombarded by arrows or something, you could link up shields and actually like form a whole, a whole, a whole hedge of protection around you. And it's enough that if you're rushing somebody, no missiles are getting at you from any angle. And this is the shield that Paul is talking about. This is a big shield that protects everything. And Paul says for us as Christians, the shield is faith. And faith is the conviction of things unseen. Here's what this means. When we cultivate an awareness and knowledge of God's promises and we cling to those promises, we lift the shield of faith. Now, 
for me personally, as I worked on this message, this was the area that I was most convicted of. I was convicted that in the battle, so often, I begin to doubt God. I begin to buckle a little bit. I begin to wonder, well, God said this, but I don't see it in this person's life. Well, God said that one day everything will be restored. I don't, I don't know. Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. But I don't see it. It doesn't feel like it. And what God revealed to me this week is I sometimes turn to the Lord and ask him, God, why, why is the battle not going well? And he says, son, you have forgotten to lift your shield. I wonder, I wonder why people fall away from the faith, why people get sick, why people get affected by gossip and slander. And I say, I don't see it, Lord. I don't understand. I don't know. I I, I see your promises, but I don't know if they're going to come to fruition. I don't know if you're going to be true to them. And the Lord's call to us is take up the shield of faith and have conviction in things unseen. Because of who I am, because of what I have promised, believe. Have I given you any reason to doubt me? Have I fulfilled every promise at every step for thousands of years? Then, son, I will not abandon you now. Lift your shield. So lifting our shield of faith means looking to things that are unseen. And here's the simple application. We must spend time with the promises of God. I would even encourage you to memorize the promises of God. There's a great devotional from uh, Charles Spurgeon, an old uh, British preacher called The Checkbook of the Bank of Faith. And he takes promises in Scripture as if they were checks. And the beginning of it says that he he wants us to present these promises to, to God every day knowing that those checks will be cashed. Do we know the promises of God? Do we believe the promises of God? Do we memorize and meditate on the promises of God, especially when we are hard pressed in the battle? Very, very briefly, let's look at five and six. The helmet of salvation, well, it's fitting that our total and complete salvation guards our head because if you get, take a, a shot to your head, it's pretty much over. And our salvation in Christ, this total salvation, is what guards and protects us. And so reminding ourselves of our salvation guards and protects us. And last, the sword of the Spirit is the only offensive weapon. It's the proclamation of the gospel. When we speak the gospel and we speak God's word, it's, it has immeasurable power. There's a theme in the book of Acts that happens again and again, a kind of a phrase that happens again and again throughout the book of Acts. And it's something like this. It, it'll say, the word of God went forth and multiplied. And in this city, the word of God went forth and multiplied. And we think in Acts, it's going to say, and the apostles did a great job running the latest evangelistic event, and so it went forth and multiplied. Or the church really structured their small groups super well, and so it went forth and multiplied. And the, it's almost like for the whole book of Acts, the apostles are just trying to catch up to the word of God going forth and multiplying. And Paul says, that is the power in your hand. It has a power of its own, a life of its own, so use it. So Christian, is your sword sharp? Do you know your Bible? Do you have anything memorized? Can you tell somebody the gospel? Do you spend even five minutes a day sharpening your sword in the word of God? Because I believe the Lord would tell us, look, if the battle isn't going well, try using your sword. He calls us, church, to take on our armor, and he ends with, again, a plea to dependence to pray, to pray constantly, to depend on God's spirit every moment of every day. 
So we've seen that we, we're called to war, that we're in a war, we're in the midst of a fierce battle, but, but we have hope because in Christ, not in ourselves, but in Christ we are strong, and we're not strong in our own strength, but in God's strength. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These verses from Ephesians speak to who we are in Jesus and how we became one of his. Pastor Ricky will be taking us through the book of Ephesians, seeking the answer to the question, Who am I? For more information, email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. Sometimes it is just easier to call. Our phone number is 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that number to call is 915-562-7100. You can learn more about Better News Radio, Cross of Grace Church, and Pastor Ricky at our website, betternewsradio.com. All of Pastor Ricky's messages through the Bible are available to listen to or download for free at betternewsradio.com. You'll also find contact information, driving directions to the church, and details about activities and upcoming events on our website. We also encourage you to follow the Cross of Grace Twitter feed at Cross of Grace EP where Ricky tweets additional thoughts about the messages you hear on Better News Radio. Or connect with us on Facebook at Cross of Grace EP. Well, that's all the time we have for today. From all of the production team here at Better News Radio, we want to say thank you for tuning in and please make plans to join us again for the next edition of Better News Radio.